Well, good morning, Life Point. It is so good to be with you all this morning. We get to gather together and we get to worship the Lord. Friends, that is something to be excited about. Uh, and real quick, if you're new here and you're joining us, you know, maybe you're here in the auditorium, you know, checking out LifePoint, maybe you're online scoping it out. Uh, one, I'm really glad that you're joining us. My name is Pastor Adam. I would love to get to meet you. I'd love to get to know you. Uh, so come say hi. But if you are new, I highly encourage you to text the word welcome to the number on the screen. It is 406 219 one four, and you know you follow the prompts, and this isn't some you know fancy way to just try to snag your information, uh, but it's actually a really great tool for us to get to know you a little bit more. You get to know us a little bit more. We get to spark up that conversation, spark up that relationship. So highly encourage you to text welcome to that number. Um, also, you've been hearing about it the last couple weeks, uh, but we are doing some fundraising for Shield 616. Uh, and this organization is going to be getting uh, rifle-ready body armor for the East Helena Police Department. Um, and we want to be a place that gives life to the community. Uh, and we love our local law enforcement, so we really want to be supporting them. Uh, and if you're, if you're interested in how to give to this or support it, you can go to lifepointmt.org give. Make sure you hit that tab, Shield 616. You can also go to the Shield 616 website and make sure you click East Helena. But definitely go check that out. Uh, and before we jump into it uh, today, I would like to invite up Kaylin Gardner. Uh, she just got back from her missions trip from Ecuador, and she's going to give us a recap of how that went. So will you welcome to the stage with me, Kaylin Gardner. Okay. Good morning, church. It's good to see you guys. Um, so yeah, I was just so blessed to go to Quito, Ecuador just by... The, what you guys gave me, you guys were able to send me, and I was just so blessed to be able to do that, to um, serve the underage girls who are living at Dunamis who have just been rescued from sex trafficking. And so it was just, it was just a, it was a great time. And up on the screen, I have a picture of the foundation. Um, the yellow house is where the girls lived. Um, and we were up 11,000 feet in elevation. So it was, it was crazy. Not very good oxygen, but good views. Um, <laughs> So my team and I did a lot to prepare for the trip and something that we talked a lot about was just embracing the uncomfortable so that we could better serve, um, so that we could uh, humble ourselves and so that we could just let God's strength be glorified through our work. And so the first morning that we were there at the foundation, um, we all did a devotional together about this. And I wrote this prayer in my journal and I wanted to share it with you because it honestly really just set up the week for what it ended up being. Um, so this was my prayer. Um, I wrote, Jesus, I lift up these girls to you and I lay down my pride. Break my comfort so that I will find better comfort in you and let me endure suffering to build your kingdom and show me the fruits of enduring suffering. I lay down my striving, God. I just want to see you and see you work. So three weeks ago today, I prayed that prayer, and I still don't remember exactly what was on my heart to ask God for suffering, but I honestly think that in that moment, I didn't think that God answered prayers, but he does. <laughs> um, so yeah, the week was great. Our ministry was just wonderful. We got to spend a lot of time in the house just living life with the girls, which was really, really special. And then um, we also did a lot of manual labor around the property. So um, we built a fence, we painted buildings, we cleaned out the orchard, we just did a lot of stuff like that. Um, and then we would do that for the first half of the day, and then the second half of the day we would drive down to um, the nearest community to play with the kids there as they got out of school and share our testimonies with them. So that was really special as well. 
Um, so many of you know just the health struggles that I've gone through this past year, just having severe joint pain that's affected um, my walking, it's affected my energy. And throughout this whole week, I was honestly just experiencing miraculous strength. It was the most strength that I had ever felt. Um, and it was awesome because I got to participate in every single ministry. Um, and I was just so grateful for that. So on our last day of ministry, we were um, finishing up our projects. So we were going to do projects for the first half of the day, and then we were going to go tour the city for the second half. So we finished up our work, and we go up to lunch, and I just started to not feel very good. I was feeling feverish. I was really tired, and I was just like, man, it's just, we've been working hard this week. I'm just tired. So I decided to skip lunch to go take a nap. So I lay down, fall asleep, and the next thing I know, I'm waking up in the emergency room in Quito, Ecuador. <laughs> So because of my joint pain, I've been taking steroids that keep me walking, and um, I've been taking them for the past 10 months, which is really not good to be taking them that long. And so while I was in Ecuador, I developed an infection from my steroids. Um, so at first, I was really grateful for the timing of getting sick. Everybody on my team was getting sick throughout the week. So I was like, oh, I just have a cold, you know, and I was really grateful that it happened on the last day of ministry because I got to do everything that I came there for. I didn't get, I didn't have to miss out on anything. Um, but then when I found out that it was from my steroids, I was like, really, God? Like, you couldn't have just waited until I got back to the States to give me this, you know? Um... So I got admitted to the hospital, um, and they quarantined me because I was very contagious. So I had nothing to do for three days in the hospital all by myself with an entire staff of doctors who couldn't understand me. And so I had literally nothing to do but talk to God. And um, I just remember the first day just praying over and over and over again, like, God, just heal me. Take this pain away. I know you can do it, so do it. Like, God needed encouragement to do what I wanted him to do. <laughs> and I just praying this prayer over and over again, and I just felt the Holy Spirit interrupt me and say, okay, but if I don't, will you still follow what I've called you to do? And if I was answering honestly in that moment, the answer was no. Um, but God gave me a lot of time. He was very patient with me. And... Um, with time, I sat in my hospital bed with just an amazing view of Ecuador out my window, and he softened my heart to just realize that if what it took to contribute to the kingdom of God was 60 or 70 more years of my life living in this pain and following God's calling, that could not even compare to the glories that wait for us in heaven for the kingdom of God. And I knew that all week long, I had seen these girls who have just been through every horror imaginable by their own parents, right? But these girls are so on fire for the Lord that they want to, when they leave Dunamis, these girls want to go back to their families, back to their abuse, just so that they could share Christ. That is so powerful. And I want to have that same passion for the gospel that these little girls do, right? And so on Sunday the 19th, one week after I had asked God for suffering, <laughs> I was released from the hospital with a very strong antibiotic and instructions to stop taking these steroids. So um, I felt pretty good about coming home, but I was nervous about what was to come because without the steroids, I can't walk. Um, so I began taking this antibiotic and I was just feeling better and better each day. And now, I'm going on three weeks with no medication and no steroids, and I've gotten back into working out, I've gotten back into running, and um, last Wednesday, I went and got labs done, and my blood work came back 
with no inflammation and perfectly normal for the first time in a year and a half. <laughs> so yeah, basically I had to go all the way to Ecuador to get an infection and be given a strong antibiotic for my doctor to just find out that this whole time I've been fighting a bacterial infection that's affected my joints. So it's crazy. I was sent to Ecuador to serve these girls, but I realized that God brought me to Ecuador so that I could receive a calling and so that I could receive healing. So with all of that, I am going back to Ecuador for the months of May and June to serve and to start up an exercise science, exercise program and a physical therapy program for the girls. And I just want to thank you guys again for all of your prayers and just for your generosity in bringing me to Ecuador. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Kaylin. Uh, and if you got your Bibles this morning, open them up to James chapter 1. We are continuing our series in the book of James, and we are still in chapter 1. Um, might be here for a little bit. Um, but you know, as you're turning there, the other day I was, uh, I was laying in my bed. I was just checking emails on my phone. And uh, my son Levi, he climbs up on the bed. My son Levi, he's like two and a half. And he climbs up on the bed and he starts like pushing my, my back, like with all of his might. And he's saying, daddy, get up. <laughs> and he's trying like really hard. He's putting all of his effort into it. But I mean, this 35-pound two-year-old ain't, ain't pushing me off. But he's trying really, really hard. So like any good dad, uh, I roll myself off the bed, hit the floor, and I just like play dead. And I can't, I'm, I, my eyes aren't completely shut, but I can see my son like creep over the bed and like look over the bed, investigating. And he comes off the bed and he lays on top of me. And he's playing with my nose and my lips. I just like making sure I'm really dead, but like years of the military, I got that bearing, like I'm, I'm dead, dead. And I can see this look of like, you know, concern on his face. So he yells out to my wife, Emily, and he says, daddy fell. And then my wife responds with, did he fall or did you push him? <laughs> and I could see the gears turning in my son's head. And he says, he fell. It was the blankets. <laughs> like, that's, your, that's the best excuse. <laughs> but as I was laying there, you know, just like playing dead, I, I was thinking, I was like, man, how interesting is that? Like, that was his, like, natural response. I, I didn't have to teach him that. But he instantly went to shifting the blame off of himself to something else <laughs> other than him, the blankets. You know, and, and I was thinking there, I was laying there thinking, I was like, how human of a response? You know, like, that's like a human, that's like a natural response. I mean, especially when it comes to sin. I mean, we say, like, it isn't my fault. Like, I, I can't help it. God, God made me like this. It's the circumstances God is putting in my life. It's, it's the people around me. It's the way that I grew up. It is so easy to shift the blame when it comes to sin. And convenient, isn't it? You know, anything and anyone can be blamed for our sin. You know, it's just the, it's the, it's the people I grew up with. It's, it's the neighborhood I grew up in. It's the education I never had. It's the boss that I can't stand. 
You know, it's the family that I, I just can't get along with. It's the money that I don't have. You know, when it comes to sin, I am simply a victim of something or someone else. You know, it's easy to make excuses. Somebody made me do it. Something made me do it. And if there's no one else, like, what do we say? I mean, the devil made me do it. Convenient, isn't it? You know, this is such a human response to shift the blame. And here's the thing. This response, when it comes to, like, sin, isn't, isn't really, like, a new response. I mean, this type of response goes all the way back to the beginning. You know, with Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they sinned before God, and, and they broke that relationship with God. And then God comes back, and he comes to Adam, and when he, in essence, he says, like, what's going on? And if you remember Adam's response, he says, it was the woman that you put here, she gave me the, the fruit. <laughs> like, in other words, he's like, I was doing fine <laughs> until you put this woman here. So it's either your fault or her fault. They're like, don't blame me. <laughs> you know, he kind of just throws Eve under the bus. And I wonder how many times she brought that up over the next 900 years <laughs> of marriage. So, so Adam shifts the, the, the blame to Eve, and Eve does the same thing. She says, it was the serpent. The serpent deceived me. Don't blame me, blame the serpent. You see, shifting the blame isn't a new concept. But you know, one of the hardest things for a sinner to say is that I'm guilty. Like sin was my decision. Nothing else. Because like in reality, Adam and Eve, like the serpent got Eve to question God's goodness. Like, like this fruit looks good. Like you'll be better off if you eat it. Like this fruit looks good. And then, and then with Adam, he wasn't deceived, but he willingly sinned because he desired the woman over God. You see, that fruit looked good. The woman looked good. So that leads into the bottom line this morning. That, that one thing that I want to get at, that one thing I want to leave in with is don't seek what looks good. Seek what is good. Because James is about to like lay into this. And throughout the book of James, he speaks about this, this topic of spiritual maturity, growing in the faith, having faith in everyday life. And so far, up to this point in the book of James, James has been talking about trials and perseverance and, and seeking the Lord's wisdom uh, because he's in the middle of your trials. He's not absent, but he's, he's there. And today, James is going to talk about a three-letter word that most people don't like to hear. I mean, James is going to talk about a three-letter word that, I mean, most Christians just like to plug their ears to. And that word is Sin. And James is going to help us understand that the real problem with that word is the middle letter, I. So I hope by now you are in James chapter 1. We're going to be starting at verse 13. And this is what it says. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Will you join me as we open up in prayer this morning? 
Father, we are grateful for today and we are grateful for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, we're grateful for the ability to gather here like this, openly and freely. And Lord, I pray today as we talk about temptation, as we talk about sin, Lord, I pray you give us the eyes to see what temptation is, where it is and where it leads. Lord, let us recognize the bait on a hook. And Lord, I, I pray that you give us the understanding to seek what is truly good. And what is truly good is from you. Lord, I pray you help us. I pray you strengthen us as we battle temptation. And Lord, I pray today as we open up your word and you allow me to speak, as you give me the breath to speak, I pray that you give me the words to speak. And Lord, do not let me say anything that you do not want me to say. And Lord, we pray that your presence in our lives shapes our lives, grows our lives, strengthens our lives with the temptation that we face. Pray that your presence gives us understanding. And Lord, we are just grateful for your goodness and your grace. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, I love how verse 13 of James actually starts. <laughs> he says, when tempted, not if tempted, but when tempted. You see, temptation comes for everyone. And the hard thing is most of the time, you're going to face temptation every single day. Whether that comes from commercials or, or billboards, TV, internet, family, friends, the people that you work with. There is temptation all around us, and temptation wants to chip away at us. Like, friend, temptation is persistent. You see, temptation keeps coming back and knocking on the door. See, and if you're no yesterday, we'll turn into a yes today. Like, temptation keeps coming back to see if that door is still locked, if those windows are still shut. You know, temptation wants to find out if your no turned into a maybe today, and then I'll think about it tomorrow, and then a yes in the future. It's not if we are tempted, friend, it's when. And look at what James says in verse 13. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. You see, we cannot like, imagine or suppose that God is tempting us because God never has and, and he never will. Like it is against his nature to lead us into sin. Like we can't blame God for the temptation in life. Like we can't say like, man, if God would just give me a better job, I wouldn't be so greedy. You know, if God changed something about my environment, I wouldn't be this way. Like, like friend, we are all prone to sin, but ultimately it is you, your and my decision to sin. Like no temptation is from God. So don't blame him. Like we can't say God made me this way. You know, I mean, there's a saying, to, to err is human, and to blame it on God is even more human. We can't blame God for the temptation that we face. Now, while God does not tempt us, he does test us to, to prove and improve who we are. I mean, we see this time and time again in the scripture. We see this with Abraham going to sacrifice Isaac. I mean, we see this in the book of Job. I mean, we see it in many, many places. But God does not entice us to do evil, but it is very easy to blame him for it. You know, as one author said, God is either the chief object of our blessing or the chief object of our blame. You know, James continues, he says, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. 
So James is saying that God cannot be tempted by evil. Now, this raises some questions, doesn't it? I mean, because as the writer of Hebrews would say, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. This high priest that the writer of Hebrews is speaking about is Jesus Christ. And he says that Jesus has been tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. But Jesus is God in the flesh. And Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil for 40 days. But here in James, he says that God cannot be tempted. So the question is like, if Jesus is God, then how can he be tempted? You know, some fun questions to deal with. And I remember when I was in college, I, I got hung up right here on this verse. And maybe, you know, as you heard, we were going uh, into the book of James. Uh, you decided to go take a look at it. Maybe you decided to go do some study on it. And, and I highly encourage you to do that. Every time we go through a new series, go read the book at least. But maybe as you were going through it, you noticed this too. Maybe you got hung up right here. So I want to explore this for just a minute. You see, the words here for cannot be tempted in the Greek is actually one word. It's a peristos. And it's one word in the Greek. And it's interestingly enough, it's only used once in the entire New Testament. Like right here. Yet this word, a peristos, carries with it the idea of not having the capacity to give in to sin. Or to give in to temptation. So in other words, when, when, when tempted, God doesn't have anything within his nature to like correspond to it. Like this word could be translated as like invincible to temptation, like unable to succumb to temptation. But then this brings up another question. You know, how then can Christ sympathize with us as that high priest, as the writer of Hebrews says? And like, here's the thing, God is, or Jesus is truly God and truly man. He has a divine nature and a human nature, not a sinful nature, but a very human nature. Jesus was really God and he was really man. He wasn't faking either. So Jesus approached, approached temptation as a man. He approached temptation like we do. And I want to explore this for, for, for just a minute. If you, if you can turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit and tempted by the devil. And I just want to go through this and then we'll dissect it for a minute. But this is what it says in Luke chapter 4 verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So here, Jesus is, is in the wilderness, hasn't eaten, and the devil is tempting Jesus, and he's targeting his human nature. 
the human nature of Christ. In other words, he's saying, why don't you use your divine power to satisfy your hunger? Like, you've been hungry. Like, you're still a man. Like, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And Jesus' response was, in essence, like, life is not about satisfying our needs, but it's about obeying the word of God. You see, Jesus faced temptation like we do as a human, but he responded in a biblical way. You see, three times Jesus was tempted here, and all three times he responded by quoting scripture. He was quoting scripture from the book of Deuteronomy all three times. And you know, something I find interesting here is the devil quoted scripture back to Jesus. Friend, the devil knows scripture. But it's not enough to just know scripture. It's about knowing how to apply it, knowing how to rest in it. You see, Jesus' defense every time when it went with temptation was scripture. Friend, to resist temptation, you need to be in the scripture. Like, I cannot stress this enough, friend. Do not wait until it's Sunday morning to be in God's word. Like, do not wait until it's Sunday morning and scripture's up on the screen for you to read it. Because if you go to scripture as a reactive response and not a proactive step, friend, you are going to be tossed to the right and to the left by temptation. Like, it is going to toss you. And like, here's the thing, like, it doesn't matter how much time you spend in the scripture, like, you're still going to face temptation. But the more time you're in the scripture, the better prepared you are going to be. And look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Friend, you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear. And maybe right now, like you're, you're in the middle of like some battling some temptation uh, and you're, maybe you're trying to find a way out of temptation. Let me recommend a pretty good book. Like there is a whole book on it. You see, friend, Jesus' response every time when battling temptation was scripture. Like this is how Jesus battled it. Friend, don't neglect it. Don't neglect spending time in God's word. Because here's the thing, the more time you spend in scripture, the more it will come out in your life. Like don't neglect it, but learn from it, grow from it, study it, apply it. Friend, this is a foundation. Don't neglect it. So, so God doesn't tempt us as, as James is saying. And as we talked about earlier, we can't blame the devil for our sin because ultimately we choose to sin. So then how does sin have such a pull in our lives? Look what James says in verse 14 of James chapter one. He says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. James is saying that each person is tempted individually by their own desires. Now this is really important to understand. That temptation looks different for people. I mean, each person is enticed by their own desires. So something that might tempt you might not even get someone else's attention. You know, one person might be drawn to alcoholism, another to gambling, another to pornography, another to adultery, another to homosexuality, another to, to gluttony, and so on. But just because someone is drawn to this doesn't make it any less sinful. See, God's standard is universal, no matter how someone is wired. You know, as James says, they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. 
James just used some hunting terms here. Like this word for like dragged away, it could mean like being lured by the scent of meat in a trap. You know, it's so easy for Satan to set the trap and for us to bite. You know, but the thing is like concealing the trap, you know, conceal the trap, but expose the meat. You know, no fish goes swimming around looking for sharp metal hooks to bite into. But as soon as you put a worm on that hook, like all of a sudden the fish doesn't care about the hook. Doesn't even notice the hook. Why? Because it's focused on the bait. It's only concerned about the hook when it's in its mouth. And friend, temptation is the same way. Like that bait is our desires. Like it's that worm on the hook. Like it can look good. It might sound good, but it can be a trap. And you know, the problem with temptation is, is we just dabble with it sometimes. You know, it's like, well, this, yeah, yeah, but this doesn't really have that much sway in my life. Like, it doesn't have that much control over me. So I'll just dabble with it. You know, that's the problem. Like, we just dabble with temptation instead of running from it. Because look at what James says in verse 15. He says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You see, when we are set on our desires, it gives birth to sin. It's when we give in to that desire. It gives birth to sin. But the first step is giving into it. You know, I don't know of someone who decided one day that they wanted to be addicted to something. You know, I don't know of, of someone who decided one day, I'm going to destroy my family. The first step is giving into it. It's just dabbling with it. Friend, don't dabble with it, but draw a line. Call it what it really is. Point it out. Because temptation entices you into a trap. Giving into temptation leads to sin. And there's a saying that sin will, will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Recognize it. Call it out. Call it for what it really is. You know, because James is about to, in essence, say, take off the blinders. I mean, look what he says in verse 16. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Like James wrote this, this letter almost 2,000 years ago, but friend, it is still relevant today. Like James today is still speaking to us, saying like, don't be deceived. This is how temptation works. It worked this way 2,000 years ago. It still works this way today. Like, don't be deceived, but keep your eyes open. It is just bait on a hook. Like, our desires, just bait on a hook. Like, don't be deceived. Because what is good and what is truly good is from God. Like, he says, every, every gift from above is perfect. Why? Because of the goodness of the giver. Like, friend, if you're in the middle of battling temptation, it is so easy to forget that God provided or God promised to provide what is truly good. What is truly good is from him. You see, temptation would say, like, eat the fruit. It looks good. It might taste good. Like, you'll be better off if you eat it. But James reminds us that what is truly good is from God. That it's not a trap, but it's truly good. 
He says that he's the father of lights who does not change. And what he's saying is he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. That he, is, he doesn't change. He's the same God yesterday, today, and here's the thing. He's going to be the same God tomorrow. That he was good when he formed you in your mother's womb. He was good when you came to know him. And friend, he is going to be good tomorrow. He's still good today. Like he doesn't have a dark side. That we as Christ followers can always rejoice in the goodness of God and in his grace. And look at how James continues in verse 18. He says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So, so here James refers to our, our spiritual birth uh, by the will of God through the word of truth, which is Jesus Christ. And he says that we are a kind of first fruits. You know, this expression of first fruits goes back to the law of Moses. You know, the first fruits was, was the first portion of the harvest. And the first portion of the harvest was dedicated to God. It was offered to him. And then the rest of the harvest could be used for ordinary purposes. But the first fruits belong to God. What James is saying here is we are a kind of first fruits. And friend, the first fruits belong to God. For those who are in Christ, you don't belong to your vices. You don't belong to your sin, but you belong to God. Friend, it, it, when battling temptation, don't forget that. Like know who you are. Know whose you are. That the first fruits belong to God. You know, as we're closing, I want to invite the worship team back up here. And, and friend, don't be deceived. Our God is far better than sin. He is the same God. He, he's the God who never changes. He is the God who is trustworthy. He is the God who redeemed you by his grace. He is the God who is worthy. Friends, stop chasing worms baited on hooks when there's something far better. You see, there is temptation all around us. I mean, it's part of, part of our life. There's temptation all around us, but ultimately... It is our decision to give in. But friend, you have the power to say no to temptation. Like don't seek what looks good, seek what is good. And as James says, what is good and what is truly good is from God alone. That every perfect gift is from above. Friend, seek that. Don't seek the worms baited on hooks, but seek what is truly good. Will you join me as we close in prayer? Father, we are grateful for your goodness. And Lord, I, I pray that when it comes to battling temptation, Lord, let us see what it really is. Lord, I pray you give us the eyes to see the hook far before we see the bait. Lord, let us understand what it is, where it leads, what's it, what it's doing. Lord, let us seek what is truly good. Lord, let us seek you. Let us not chase our desires. Let's not give in to that temptation. But Lord, I pray you strengthen us as we face it. And Lord, I am grateful for your goodness and I'm grateful for what you provide for us. Lord, let us rest in that. And in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.